you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. There's a Bible provided for you in the pew rack if you would like to turn to page 1686. For many people, Easter is family, sentimentality, a feel-good time. Spring has arrived, Easter eggs, candy. What is Easter to you? What is Easter to the Christian? Well, Christianity is unique in that because of this one day, this one day we trace the origin of the church one day in history, there wasn't a church, and then the church was born on Easter. The church was given a message on Easter. The church was assured of a hope on Easter. That message came from an exalted Lord, a risen Lord, one who had come back from the dead. It's a message of eternal life. John gives in John 20 four eyewitness accounts. Three, the very day of Christ's resurrection, and then a week later with Thomas. And these eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts to the resurrection teach us that because of the resurrection, we must believe in him for life. Because of the resurrection, we must worship him as life. And because of the resurrection, we must proclaim him in life. In him, forgiveness is found. In him, an exalted friendship is found. In him, a future is found. And as we read John 20, listen as John gives us clues to understand belief and worship and witness because he uses the word see and saw and look and looking. Beginning in John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand fully from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. There she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the, head of, at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I have been returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her on the evening of the first day of the week, while the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After that, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to thee, O God. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Open our eyes that we might... Behold, Holy Spirit, wonderful things that are written from your heart to our hearts. May today be truly resurrection day for us all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amanda Pete is a successful actress. She's married to David Benehoff, screenwriter for Game of Thrones. And she was being interviewed by Stephen Colbert on a late night show. She made some comment about being in her 40s and dealing with a midlife crisis. Colbert, in an unscripted banter back and forth, he said, well, what could you, what kind of crisis could you be facing? All that I know about you and your family is only success, and you can't have really serious problems, can you? She paused, wondering whether to answer honestly or deflect as well, but she honestly answered with three simple words. She said to him, I fear death. 
I fear death, and I don't know what to believe. She said, I'm Jewish, you're Catholic, but I don't, I don't know what I should believe. Colbert was obviously very uncomfortable, and he said, let's keep things light. This is a late-night show. Of course, we all want to go to heaven, and of course, we're doing our best to get to heaven. And she said, no, you don't know. This is where I need help. I don't know what to believe. She's not alone. Many Americans don't know how to prepare for death. Simon Critchley is a writer, a sociologist, as well as a philosopher, and he said that Americans... Modern Americans are the most ill-equipped in the history of our world at preparing for death. He says America does have a priesthood, and America's priesthood is the medical profession, where the medical profession has been given a purpose to use sacramental drugs and their skills and technology of worship that they might support longevity of life. He says that the sad thing is in his research, and he's not a professed believer, but he says in his research, even people who say they believe in heaven, even people who say that they believe in the Bible don't live any differently than those who are atheistic. He says Christians are leading desperate atheistic lives because they're bound by their desire for longevity and their terror for death. I was told that in 2020, Walmart sold more Bibles than any year other than 2001, which was 9-11 disaster. An insurance agent in our church told me that his agency has sold more life insurance last year than any year in recent memory. And this year, they're on pace to even sell more life insurance. I want you to know the disciples were fearful. They were in shock. They were confused. They were sad. We hear these stories. They were sad and they were terrified. What happened to them? What changed? They became eyewitnesses of an exalted Lord who delivered a message of eternal life. It's really the message of the Bible. On every page, there is the hope of an exalted Lord who has conquered death and he gives a message of eternal life. We'll learn from these encounters that the resurrection demands that we believe in him for life. Forgiveness of sin comes when we believe in him for life. Resurrection also instructs us, and we'll learn from Mary's encounter, that worship is our purpose as life, an exalted kind of friendship that Jesus has delivered to us because now he's the resurrected Lord. And then we're to join him in mission. We're to proclaim him in life because we have a future. We have his future, and we are to share it with a lost world. First, believing in him for life. This is John and Peter's encounter. Notice that Mary, we're told from the other gospel recordings, that women have gone to the tomb while it's dark. They've seen that the tomb, the rock that was enclosing the tomb had been removed. That stone had been removed. 
and they see no body, Mary goes back and tells Peter and tells John that the body has been stolen. She concludes not that that body has been resurrected, but the body has been stolen. And then Peter and John come, and as I mentioned, John gives us clues about what it means to believe in him for life. Verse 5 says, John saw. It means he surveyed the tomb. He was making observations. That word there, saw, means a survey. But then in verse 6, it says, Peter looked. That word is more analysis. He was trying to develop a theory. He was asking, what are the facts and what actually happened? But in verse 8, it says that John saw. He saw the grave clothes that had been folded. And it says that he noticed that the head covering had been laid there, not uh, just torn off of the body. And the word there is actually better translated, behold, he beheld. And in John 1, we get this clue when John the Baptist points to Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Earlier, John has declared, we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Here he says that he saw not just what happened, but he understood why it happened. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. It's to look at the evidence and to see not just what has happened, but to understand why it happened. John thought it through. He was at the foot of the cross. He heard Jesus cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He heard Jesus declare, It is finished. And he thought it through. He thought about that lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And he thought... Maybe he was not being cursed by God for his life. That's what Jews believe. The Old Testament says everyone who dies on a tree is cursed. And John thought it through. Maybe he was becoming a curse to take on the sin of my life. He saw in this place. He stood in my place. I should have been there. And what does it say? It says his eyes were open and he believed. The first person to believe in the resurrection. He heard Jesus say in John 5, 24, whoever hears my words and believes in me has everlasting life, does not pass into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, it's not just intellectual assent. It's looking at the facts. Many people, skeptics, say that Christianity is just blind faith. But every person has a faith. And they've examined the evidence and they've looked at answers and they've tried to understand what has happened in this world. How did we get here? What went wrong with the world? Can we be, can we be made right? Can the world be made right? And Christianity says what has happened is that we are sinners. And we are separated from God. But Jesus came and lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. And in his resurrection, he promises life in him. Listen to Galatians 
I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Not a dead Savior, a living Savior. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself up for me. Is that your testimony? This Easter day, have you believed in Jesus Christ for life? Have you examined the evidence? Blaise Pascal was a mathematician, a physicist, as well as a philosopher. And he believed in the claims of Jesus Christ. He had studied and investigated those claims, and he believed that rationally the proof of the resurrection and the empty tomb meant that he should be a believer. But he talks about his memorial. He had a night, what he called the night of fire. And he began to write for two hours in his journal. These words became so powerful and shaping in his life, he stitched them into his, the cloth or the inner lining of his coat. And he wore it for the rest of his life to the day he died. Listen to some of his words. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Jesus Christ, you are my God. This is eternal life that I may know thee and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I was separated from you. I fled from you. I renounced you. But now I have crucified you and I've seen you. May I never be separated from your joy. Now, joy, 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 tears of joy, renunciation, total and sweet. Have you ever had a night of fire in your own life where your soul sees the risen Lord? You'll never be the same when Jesus touches you in that way. The resurrection instructs us that we must believe in him for life. But also, we must worship him in this life. Mary returns, and John says it's still dark. But she moves into the tomb. Is there light for Mary? Is there love instead of hate and fear? Is there hope? She's weeping. Two angels say to her, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away. It appears she turns around, maybe the angels turned her around, but she sees who she thinks is the gardener. And she asks, have you taken my Lord away? Jesus asked her two questions. Why are you crying and what are you looking for? That's really the question to ask every Sunday when you come to worship. What are you looking for? And every day when the Lord gives you another day, your first thought should be, what am I looking for? Well, Jesus says one word. He says, Mary. And we're told that she saw. She says, Rabboni, teacher. And apparently she falls to the ground in worship. She clutches his legs. Never will she let them go again, she thinks. And then Jesus has a strange, gentle rebuke. A lot of different opinions about what this means where he says, stop clinging to me. I've not ascended to my father. Was he speaking about his material body at that time that had not fully been energized into glory? I don't think so. He eats fish later on the road to Emmaus that very night. 
He asked the disciples to touch him. So I don't think it had anything to do with his physical body. What Jesus is saying when he makes reference to the ascension is that Mary, we have had an earthly friendship and you are a dear friend, but I am the exalted Lord now and I go to a place so that my friendship can be shared with the whole world, not just my disciples, not just the Jewish people, but all the nations and you will worship me. Yes, it is friendship, but it's an exalted friendship. We're not equals, and we will not have an earthly relationship. You're to exalt me. You're to use honor when you speak to me. You're to give dignity to my words. They're to have power over your life. I am the exalted Lord, and you're to worship me. Think of Colossians Chapter 1 says that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the living one, the firstborn from the dead. So that, why? He might come to have first place in everything. Don't cling to Jesus with earthly prayers or earthly ideas. Embrace him as the exalted Lord. Worship him that he might have preeminence in every area of your life. And then the third scene, Jesus comes to the disciples behind a locked door. Jesus' body is physical, but he can vanish. He can penetrate the material blockages. He's not a ghost, but he has supernatural, glorified, energized power to be wherever we need. And he says that, you know, you have a message for the future. He says to the disciples, peace. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You will declare forgiveness through the church. You will declare that others can have a future. They can live in a restored hope. You will be witnesses. I think in Acts 1, I think that Acts 1 probably better explains what John 20 is saying, or Luke 24, when it says that he opened the disciples' minds that they would understand the Scriptures so that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed to the nations as a witness to his resurrection. But in Acts 1, the disciples ask, is this the time that you are come to restore Israel of all exaltation. And Jesus says, at that time, you misunderstand what the resurrection is all about. Jews believed in the resurrection, and they believed that when Messiah would come, all the earth would be made right. From Jerusalem, all the earth would be restored. And their assumption is because Messiah is here, that he will restore all things at that time. But the message is, I will restore all things. I'm going to my Father and my people will spread the message of forgiveness to heal the world. I'm going to build a community that's built on forgiveness. A community that's so overwhelmed and empowered by the exalted Lord that they will forgive others. They will forgive enemies. And they will love as an exalted 
fellowship that worships an exalted Lord and believes and proclaims that they have a future and they invite all people into this future. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was born there, resurrection day. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to get our lives back. We're going to get the life we always wanted. We're going to live in a healed and glorified universe in the world that we always long for. Eternal life is quality. It's quantity. No longer are we going to be afraid of death. The resurrection frees us from this fear. Listen to Romans 5. Through one man's sin entered the world and death, but through one man the gift of grace is given. We do not have to fear death again. And we do not have to hold too tightly to our lives. I mentioned that the church was born with power, Resurrection Day, and it's not surprising that the church of Jesus Christ began to worship on Sunday. Resurrection Day, where they're reminded of their forgiveness, where they experience exalted friendship, and they proclaim that there's a future. This little band, fretful failures, went to become fearless followers. They took the Roman Empire by storm. They spread the gospel to Europe and Asia and Africa. And they found us. They brought the gospel to us. The gospel is spreading throughout the whole earth. I was reading that in the present day, more Muslims are professing faith in Christ than ever in the history of the world. What's the reason? What is taking place? One story from the Voice of Martyrs about an Egyptian conversion, Walid. Walid was a Muslim who hated Christians. He worked with Haytham. And he planned to look for ways to hurt or even kill Haytham. His father who had five wives and 32 children, had taught him to hate Christians and to look for ways to destroy Christians. They worked together as a, on a painting crew, but it used to make him so angry because Hatham would sing worship songs, praise songs to the exalted Lord. He would talk about Jesus. At breaks, he would read his Bible. And Waleed thought, I've got to kill him. My religion demands that I've got to destroy this infidel. One day after work, he saw him going home in an alley and he began to beat him with a stick from behind. He thought that he had killed him, but when he saw that he moved, he took out a knife and he stabbed him. But when Hatham looked up, he saw his face and it made Walid fearful and he ran. He went to his aunts and he said, I need to stay here for a while. I need a new job. He took on another job in another part of the city and... About 15 days later, he was hit by a taxi and hospitalized. He was unconscious for several days. But when he came to, he thought it was a dream, but he saw Hatham, who had come with his Christian friends to pray for him. He brought fruit and food. He said, are you here to kill me? I hate you. Do you hate me? Hatham said, I don't hate you. I love you. I came to tell you that Jesus loves you and he will open your eyes. He will heal you. He said, get out of my presence. I don't want to see you. But Hatham was so troubled, he couldn't think about, couldn't stop thinking about the words that he heard while he was troubled. 
that night he had a dream, a vision. He saw a lamb, a lamb that was bloody. He thought that lamb was dead, but the lamb sat up. He took his own blood and he washed Walid's eyes. He was blind, but then the lamb washed the blood clean and he was able to see that he was alive. He was so terrified he didn't know what to do. So he went to the Muslim imam and he asked him what would happen to someone who has a dream like this. He said, you're cursed. Never come back to the mosque. He reached out to his friend Haytham in fear and he said, would your pastor have any answers? He said, yes, he will explain to you the gospel. And they went through the scriptures. He was troubled. Is Jesus alive? Do we serve a risen Savior? He had another dream. In this dream, he saw Jesus who was alive, who said, I'm the living one who's come back from the dead. I will open your eyes. And he was converted. These kinds of stories are happening all over the world. It's a lot like Thomas's story. We give Thomas a hard time and we say he was doubting, but what he was really saying was, I need God to open my eyes. Ask God to make himself real. If you're here and you're not a believer, I would challenge you to do what Thomas did. Pray and ask God, if you're real, become real to me. Open my eyes that I might see. I've got a couple things I want to give you after the service if you have questions. I have a book one of our elders gave me called Judgment and Love. And this book is a compilation of about 40 different stories of people who've been touched by the love of Christ. His grace has opened their eyes. And it's very inspiring to ask that question. Could God change me? If you're here and you're not a believer and you want to know how judgment and love come together in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, see me afterwards. I have a book like this I would like to give to you. And then also when you leave, there's these little bracelets that are available at all the exits. It's called Going Home. I want to tell you this brief story. John Franks prayed for Dennis Jones. Yesterday we had the funeral of Dennis Jones. And Dennis is with the Lord. We went to the graveside and we thanked Jesus for the resurrection. Dennis came to faith through the witness of this church when he was a medical student. Finn and Jan Hitchcock shared the gospel with him, invited him to an apologetics conference. And every time that I talked to Dennis Jones, he talked to me about two things. He talked about apologetics, proofs for the faith, and he wanted to talk about eschatology, the return of Christ. It's really the two topics that every warm-hearted Christian should be concerned about. But Dennis, even as he was close to death, told me when we prayed together, I'm not afraid to die. I'm praying for my family that I'll leave, but I'm not afraid to die. I'm longing to see my Savior, to be welcomed into my eternal home. I'm going home, Mike, he said. In fact, Finn and, Janny, Finn, Finn and Jan were hosting him when the hospice nurse came in. He declared, this is Hopeful House because I'm going home. This is Hopeful House. I'm full of hope. I'm not afraid of death. I would encourage you to take one of these bracelets. 
You can go to a website that Finn Hitchcock and Randy Hatcher, father of Adam Hatcher, have put together called goinghome.net. And if high schoolers, if you're wearing this and someone asks you, what does this mean? You can say, I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid of death. Death means I'm going home. If you'd like to know more, you can go to this website, goinghome.net. It's how we all should live. Forgiveness, friendship, we have a future. Listen to the conclusion once again. These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, we believe in you, resurrected one. Holy Spirit, we love you and believe in your power. Father, would you, by your mercy, touch hearts, use this church to proclaim the good news of forgiveness. Lord, may we worship you as the risen one every day as life. May we proclaim you in all of life. This we pray in the power and name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll conclude by singing the hymn 267. It's also in your bulletin, The Day of Resurrection. Please stand.